This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Welcome into another episode of Half Measures Podcast. This week, we are heading back to a galaxy far, far away as we pick up where we left off in our timeline review in the Star Wars movie Saga. And as the director of the podcast, I have had a few ups and downs, and so I'll hand over control of the station to the Grand Moff of Wellington, Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. I guess my first question is, do I get a gun for this podcast? Uh... I think you need to pipe down K2. Um, you know, everyone else is going to have a gun on the ship, but as a droid, we don't trust you yet. Oh. Why does, why, why does everyone else get guns? <laughs> the, K, the K2 dynamic is something we definitely need to get into in this in this podcast. This is an exciting movie to review, Paul. It's, um, I feel like I've been on a real journey with this movie. And I remember the first time I watched Rogue One, I was like, I enjoyed it, but did I love it? And then over the years and subsequent sort of rewatches, it's honestly one of the greatest things in the world. It, it is a, it's interesting because the rewatch that we've we've already done and coming to this one are probably the most excited thus far of all of the rewatches we've done has been for this one. So I'm totally with you with you on that. So so yes, yeah, so so in podcasts uh, 113 to 116, we started that timeline rewatch with our deep dives into the prequels uh, and and solo. And so this is the other standalone movie, Rogue One. And, and whereas Solo is that, I guess it's essentially a heist movie. This Rogue One is most certainly a war movie. Oh, look, w- w- without a doubt, and it's um. I guess it's for time, like, so, you know, talking about timeline reference. So Rogue One is about five years after uh, Star Wars Rebels, the animated series. Right. Um, and so just sort of for, for context for people in the sort of the wider Star Wars universe, but it's probably getting a little bit niche because I know not a lot of people watch watch Rebels. It's always a disappointment that not a lot of people do. Um, but for those who do, that's good to know that we're five years from that. So at this point, all looks lost for the Rebellion they find out about the existence of this super weapon, the Death Star. But just almost as soon as they find out about that, a possible weakness is also discovered, possibly a deliberate design weakness. And so the Rebel Alliance must set out on a desperate mission to steal the plans for this fully armed and operational battle station. Uh, what, what I loved about this movie is because it is a standalone, as is Solo. But this this movie is so woven into the core part of the very start of the very first Star Wars movie back in 77. It's just a genius idea to have a story set here. It, yeah, we've said it before, Paul, like the, the genius of, I think the entire Star Wars universe, that there's always these little, these little like holes that can be retro filled in with more movies and more TV shows and more content. It's just an incredible thing. And I think we've always known that the the plans to the, the Death Star were, were stolen and, and many Bothans died to to bring those plans, um, you know, to, to ultimately, you know, and a new hope. Spoiler alert! You know, Luke blasting a proton torpedo through the through the exhaust port. But it's like, you know, you know, for 
20 or 30 years, we've we've never really thought too much about the the lead up to that. Well, I, you know, we, we might have in sort of various conversations, but it's it's so great to actually have a movie that kind of brings that to life. I've never thought about this before, and it was only listening to you then, Dan, as you said that quote from Mon Mothma, many Bothans died to bring us this information, these plans. There's actually a second movie that we could have, because what you just said there, that's actually the Death Star too, isn't it? The Bothans died to bring them the plans to the Death So we could actually have a standalone movie of how we got the plans for the second Death Star. But this is the first one. Several transmissions were beamed to this ship by rebel spies. I want to know what happened to the plans they sent you, says Darth Vader to Princess Leia in the opening I don't know, opening five minutes of the first movie. And this movie, as you say, is all about those plans. Um, Shall we dive in? Shall we dive into the start? Let's just get into it. I'm so excited. So so the opening scene, I guess uh, we meet a guy called Galen Erso, um, who who is, for more intents and purposes, seems to be a farmer. We have a ship flying in. Um, it's very different to how most Star Wars movies open. There's no opening crawl. There's no John Williams fanfare. So you realize straight away, just as we did with the the last movie, sorry, it's a very different Star Wars experience. Um, but I do want to say straight away, I found it a more satisfying opening. Because when you think about Star Wars movies, the nine movies opening with a crawl, this one compared to Solo was more satisfying in terms of the prestige. I thought the opening credit was... It was that classy fonts fade to back, unlike Solo, which we talked about. And I thought this had a bit more prestige about it. So I, I really enjoyed the start and the way this one unfolded. It's interesting, eh? Because we've really had the well for me, I've really had to come to terms with like no opening crawl. And I don't know if I agree with it. I, I kind of wish all Star Wars movies had the opening crawl. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot, actually, with some of the uh, some of the audiobooks I've listened to around Star Wars, and they always have just the classic uh, New Hope Star Wars music, the John Williams music, at the start of those books. And it just makes me think, why don't we have that for all movies? Like it, it doesn't. It actually brings me back into the Star Wars universe, and it's not anything like it's not anything major. And it kind of, yes, it kind of separates them from the the core. Uh, the core movies, the core Star Wars saga, but it's yeah, it's always something I've kind of wondered about. But my first question for you, Paul, and this is something that has plagued me in many a Star Wars um, movie and TV show, when people arrive on ships, why do they always park so far away? Like, like you know, at the supermarket, I park far away because I don't want anyone like banging the trolley into my car. Correct. But when you're on a spaceship and you're landing on a farm, is it is it for the effect? Is it for the, I want the slow walk. I want terror to reign through this family as I slow walk up to their house. But there seems to be a real thing. Let, let's just park far away. There's a lot of factors there. And let's not forget that this planet, when they arrive, it's 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 got a really it's raining. It's got that sort of rain that's always going to get you soaking wet. You can tell it's coming down, you know, with the wind. So if anything, you want to be as packed as close as possible. This isn't even Krennic's car, you know. This is like he's working for them, but this is a pool car. So you don't care if that gets banged because that's not your problem. So you can pack that thing right up front. So yeah, I I think it must be all about the walk. I think it is, and I think one thing we I think we should just give a shout out to from the very get go. What a fantastic cast for this movie oh yeah like like Mads Mikkelsen as Galen Uso absolutely amazing uh Ben Mendelosin as Orson Krennic amazing and I think you know one of the things we're about to get to is sort of our as uh Orson Krennic does as sort of director Krennic does his slow walk up 
Another thing that really kind of always sort of throws me in the movie, but I've come to really appreciate it, is because it's so raining on this planet, Director Krennic's uniform, also the raincoat that he's wearing over the top of his uniform, is so like wet and looks unironed and crumply and it's like it's such a different vibe for me from how we normally see the empire because if you think of someone like Tarkin pristine uniform at all times whereas actually this uniform when you're actually out in the field doesn't it doesn't feel so well it's it's so well described by you there because it, it really sets the tone of who Krennic is because I think you're right I think and this is diving into something which didn't happen. But if it was, for example, Tarkin that came down, I don't think he would have packed that far away. I don't think he would have come on a rainy day. I, th- I think if he did, I think someone would have had an umbrella above him. There's no way I see Tarkin or or many Imperials getting soaking wet. Krennic is a very edgy, different type of Imperial. And it's almost like that weather almost suits him somehow. There's something about him. Orson Krennic is, is great. And of course... He sets out his stall to the audience really early when, he, you know, he's sort of saying again, oh, yeah, we're on the verge of greatness. And Galen's like, well, you're confusing peace with terror. And his response to that is, well, you have to start somewhere. And that tells you everything you need to know about this guy. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's yeah, it's it's such a, a wonderful opening. And I, I guess also we, at the same time in this opening, we're also kind of getting the the first hints of uh, Galen's family and sort of reaching out to Sol Um to you know, to make sure that his his daughter Jen's going to be looked after, and it's like, it's in the in watching the movie, it actually doesn't give you a lot of clues about all these things happening. It's not until you know the Star Wars universe that you really appreciate these calls that have been made and the names that have been dropped and the and the events that are actually happening. Yeah. Oh no, you're hundred percent right. And I was always going to mention this at some point, so I may as well do it now as any other point. There is a book called Rebel Rising, which I hundred percent everyone read if if they love Rogue One. There's also a book called Catalyst, and I'll talk about that later. But for this one, Rebel Rising, is all about that time in between uh, Jin being rescued by Saw up until where we meet her at the at the start of, well, relatively at the start of this movie in that prison cell. So, um, and all of the things that happened and, and that plan that was put into motion and everyone knows their places to go to. They've all got their go places and, and, and their roles if this day ever comes. And like you say, Dan, lucky that Krennic parked far away because it gave everyone a bit of chance to... Um, you know, to, to get prepared because they seem to have like these droids out in the fields that obviously sent through some sort of warning to say, hey, you've got visitors. And unless you've ordered pizza, you think, yeah, this is the Empire. Indeed, indeed. Um, no, this is this is this is good. And I think, you know, the other thing that we we're kind of introduced to, uh not I guess I don't know if it's for, maybe it's the first time in movies, but you know, Krennic arriving with the uh, the, the a different type of stormtrooper, the death the trooper, far, yeah, the death trooper, like far more intimidating, far more elite. Like I'm instantly more threatened by them. Like I I don't feel threatened by a stormtrooper. Before. I I know that you know, yeah, yeah, they they haven't got the goods, and it still bothers me to this day. Actually, just jumping forward to the next movie that um, when Obi Wan's talking about the. <laughs> The what are those things called that the Jawas ride in the sand crawler? Yep. Uh, only Imperial stormtroopers could be this accurate. Like, and it's the most inaccurate comment yep. in the whole of the Star Wars franchise. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a moment where someone needs to just pull back from that and go, "Is it though? Are they really? Where's your evidence? Because yeah. you know, Obi Wan's seen a fair bit of evidence that they're not. And also, these Death Troopers talk in 
these sort of, I guess, uh, what's the word? Uh, the, the, the way they're talking is all encrypted when they're, you know, we can't, yeah. and we can't understand what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's just awesome how he's flanked with them and it really sort of kicks the movie off into kind of high gear from there. Yeah, it does indeed. And and so, yeah, so they they don't find Jin. Saw Guerrero shows up and he's like, Come on, you've got a we've got a long journey ahead, and we we kick into gear, and we then straight over to to Jin's uh, Im- imprisonment, and and we find her, um, you know, as a wonderful scene of just stormtroopers just slowly walking past the prison doors, and this looks like a massive facility. Also interesting, uh, as we because at this point we're going to jump from planet to planet very very quickly in the space of about ten minutes. We're going to go to three different locations, and for the first time in star wars movie history at least and i don't even know if they do it in the animated shows but as we go from place to place we're getting a visual worded description of what that planet is on screen and it's something very unusual for the star wars universe i think do we get that in maybe the force awakens um or am i I, am i making that i feel like i've got memories of no we don't i don't i don't know if we do it'd be interesting to see when we get there if we do because i I don't recall it but even if even if we do this is timeline wise this is the first time we encounter it right yeah. So um, yeah, I really uh, really enjoy the the look of where of where Jin is. Um, it just well, I don't mean enjoy the prison, but it just it, I think it looks fantastic. And no sooner are we discovering her in prison, but you know she's she's pretty pretty close to being broken out. Yeah. Well, I think you know it's it's an interesting sort of introduction to older Janusso, right? Played by Felicity Jones, and you can tell the anger and frustration that her character already brings, and there's, she kind of just oozes it as a as a character. And when she when she does make her her run for it, we also get the the great entry of um, Alan Tudyk's K two S O. Yeah, that's a that is a wonderful. I mean, he really blocks her. That's like a I don't know what you call it in American football, like a, a blocker. Yeah, like a that's that's a real. That's not a rugby tackle. That is a proper. I thought this is a, a WWF That's WWE it. wrestling move where you just like choke Clo- clothesline almost. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it looks brutal. Like you really feel it, eh? Like when she gets like sort of like slammed back down on the ground. Yeah, there's no there's no messing about. Before just before we get into that, then we also we also jump across to uh, what's the name of the place? I'm going to mess this up. The the Ring of Kafrine. Uh We jump across quickly and we meet uh, we meet Cassian Andor. Um, and that's a crucial scene as well. There's a lot of things going on on that planet. I'd love to see more about that planet. Um, we also bump into our mate from from the from the cantina, who you know has the death sentence on Twelfth Systems. That's a nice little nice cameo. little touch, nice little cameo. Um, but it's interesting because Cassian is now going to be alongside Jen, one of our, our two main characters throughout this movie. And of course, we're going to get a Cassian series as well, which is fantastic. But question for you, Denton. Based on the opening three minutes that we see of Cassian, what is the audience supposed to think when he he he, he, t- he comes up behind with the blaster behind what's his name from Line of Duty and and just executes him? I think this is what kind of threw me the first time I watched the movie. Like there was almost so much going on that I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! Like, are you a good guy? Are you like like where do you fit in this? Are you like do I trust you? Are you like? And I I think. That, like Cassian's one of those characters, which it wasn't probably till my second watch that I really appreciated more of who he is because, you know, we he really does have a cold open, right? Like we don't know 
really what his rank and role is. We don't know that he's kind of living this James Bond type life, um, leading all these like sort of black ops missions. And I think when you kind of think about it in a kind of a James Bond setting, like he's kind of doing some bad things for the greater good. And I think this is where the, I think that, the the edges seem to fray for the rebels like and i think this is what the wider expanded universe has kind of done is yes the empire is bad but the rebel alliance also has done some pretty dark things and this movie is probably the first one to really touch on that you're right on the money i was just looking up the podcast number that we talked about uh inferno squad which was podcast 110 where you and i talked about the lines being blurred in in terms of the rebels not always being so squeaky clean and the empire maybe not being so bad or at least the people on the ground and this is a, a classic example because this is a calculated decision that he makes he knows that in order to escape where they are they're going to have to climb up this thing and and Tivik is the character's name who's clearly he's been hit he's not going to make it Cassian knows he's not going to make it he knows if he isn't going to make it that the the stormtroopers will capture him and that he will be interrogated by one of those imperial probe droid things whatever they are the, you know the the circular mm-hmm. globe things and they will discover everything about the 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 imperial pilot that's um you know defected the the, the message from Gennett and he's he's basically saying for the sake of this one guy for the greater good of the galaxy and our one chance to stop whatever this thing is I'm gonna have to take him out and so I'm not saying it's the right decision I'm just saying that he's made a calculated decision in that moment I think you're right like I think there's just too much at risk and I think the the rebel alliance is kind of making small gains all the time and I think some calls had to be made which i don't think would actually sit well with a, a lot of sort of characters yeah um so that's that's done uh we've we've just we've we've spoken about you know jen being being broken out and being congratulated by k2so brilliantly alan Tudyk does such a great job with that voice um and one of my favorite moments in terms of look feel music all the emotions is when we go into yavin 4 and there's something about the way um i can't pronounce his last name michael giacacco <laughs> i don't know how to say his last name that the, the composer brings elements of john williams rebel theme from a new hope as we come into that base and the look and the feel of the comm stations and the listening scanning posts and you've got uh, General Dodano and Mon Mothma. It's it. We know exactly where we are, and it feels just like it did in '77. Oh, it's so good. I think it's one of those scenes that kind of just sends like chills down my spine. Just you know, we we're getting the sort of the overhead shots of like X wings, just and as you say, like looking inside that base and and seeing some of those classic characters, and particularly like I just love the um, Genevieve O'Reilly who plays Mon Mothma. Like I love that we we're using the same Mon Mothma as we did in Revenge of the Sith, and just sort of like the the follow through of those characters, and they're so spot on. Um, I think they just do, they do something wonderful to kind of like put these familiar sort of like touchstones and pillars and all these movies that you're like oh yeah yeah I, I know this Dan you're right on the money and I hadn't actually thought about this because that um, Mon Mothma um, as you said Gen- Genevieve O'Reilly she she her scenes were deleted from Revenge of the Sith those scenes were they're they're the bonus material they never actually made the final cut so yeah you're absolutely right it's a really good call and it's great that she gets to play that part I'd completely completely forgotten about that she does a fantastic job 
of Mon Mothma. I've even had someone say, is that the same actress? And I'm like, you need to think about what you've said there because 1983 was a long time ago, but that's how good a job she has has, has done with her, her Mon Mothma. And of course, there's also now, you know, talking about 77, now we've got our, um, our prequel trilogy in the tank. We now have that also reminiscent moment of Bail Organa walking in as well, which is great. That Bail Organa scene, that really got me, Paul, because especially after, you know, reading books like Ahsoka, um, yeah. where you really sort of get a, a bigger sense of Bail Organa's role in, in the Rebel Alliance and, and kind of the, the efforts he goes to, like, just seeing his characters, like, he doesn't have a big role in this movie, but just his presence there actually meant so much more to me than it ever has before. Yeah. Um, should we jump ahead to the next scene, Dan? Because, um, you know, this is a great movie and we'll be here all day. But I have to stop us at the our first introduction into the Empire. And we've got a, a bit of a different Imperial theme to what we're used to in previous movies. We haven't got the John Williams Imperial theme. We've got this new theme, which is already, for me, after, what do we know, six years on, feels very Imperial. We've got that uh, Star Destroyer coming out of the shadow of something massive. We don't know what it is yet. I'm sure we can guess. But it's a wonderful introduction to the the power of the Empire. The, the, they feel like they're at their pinnacle almost. And and suddenly we're, we're, we're on board one of those Star Destroyers and meeting some familiar characters and some new ones. I, I think you're right. Like This is another such a well moment right and it's we're seeing these these big well moments in a way that we've kind of we haven't really seen them before like when you think about how the original trilogy was made a lot of sort of like real practical effects or painted scenes and um, and like now we're sort of seeing this like you know digitally made modern technology and sort of the introduction of these starships and the you know the creation of the death star and all that sort of stuff is just so incredible the um the introduction of 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 Krennic uh, at this point, of course, this is some time after we've we've saw him at the start of the movie with uh, with Jin. Um, he's now looking, as you just described earlier, he's looking much more pristine. You know, everything's clean and white, and the cape is flowing, and he's got that air around him of authority. But then all of a sudden, I remember being shocked at the time. Um, now I now I know it's coming every time I watch it. But Grand Moff Tarkin, the introduction of him, he is immediately in charge of the situation and is immediately the ranking officer. And Stephen Stanton does a voice that is just astonishing. I think. I think Grand Moff Tarkin has got some real big D energy, Paul. Like he he doesn't muck around. Like, and it's so funny, isn't it? Because you know, we we don't in in sort of movie context. We don't necessarily know a lot about this character apart from his sort of high rank. We see a lot more of him, and you know, we see a bit of him in the animated series, and we we know a bit more of him from sort of the expanded universe and some of the books. But he just carries such a, a presence and an energy that, like, he doesn't carry any weapons. Like he's he's yeah. quite he's quite frail looking. As like you know, like he's very like. He's got a real sort of Mr. Burns type vibe, like he's he's very slight, but he is someone that you you don't ask him for. Can I have annual leave tomorrow? Or I'm ringing in sick today. Like he's 
he's too scary for that. <laughs> you don't ever call in sick, and you, you there is no such thing as annual leave. He, I, I've never observed that before. Then he doesn't carry a weapon. You're absolutely right. He doesn't. He doesn't need to. He's always he's always in a perfectly safe place. Um, maybe not come the end, but um, he, he assumes always to be in a place and he won't be putting himself into the dirty spot on on the ground in the farm. Well, I think that's the thing, right? Like, he's not a boots-on-the-ground character. Like, he's like, I... I I'm overlooking this like a like a war chief. Like this is this is my chessboard, and and I'm playing on it. And you are one of my pawns, including you, Director Krennic. Yeah, and another mention for um, a book, the book attacking. You, then you you would be all about that book. It's amazing. My ba- my backlog for these books is getting out of control. Like every time we talk about one, it's like oh, this is the one, and it's like I'm like ah oh, god, I've made it to the list. You need to t- you need to uh, take some annual leave, I think, and get some books under your belt. To ask. <laughs> That's right. Um, so when has become now, Director Krennic, and so rather than you know sort of take take any chances about you know do we present this to the Emperor unfinished? Let's let's do a test, and the test is going to be on Jeddah, and so they're off to Jeddah. But before they they get there and do that, um, the the actual the mission to Jeddah and the characters we meet on Jeddah. This is for me where Rogue One. When I think about the feel of Rogue One, I often think about the the latter third of the movie with the space battle, and we'll get there. But the other thing I think about a lot is the the the, the whole Jeddah environment, and of course, meeting one of the greatest characters, um, Sharut Imre. Uh, this is, I think, one of the um, uh, greatest moments, and kind of like it, like Sharut Imre is just the character I want to know so much more about. Like, give give me the the adventures of Sharut Imre and uh, what's his mate called? Base. Uh, base yeah yeah and it's like it's just such a great character like i'm on with the force and the force is with me and just the the role that they kind of play as kind of uh guardians of potentially kyber crystals but they're kind of like beggars on the street we haven't really apart from animated series come across that a blind jedi at this point and it's not even he's not even referred to as a jedi at, at any point from from memory no that's right no you're absolutely right it's the i think at least in movie terms this is the first force sensitive individual that we have encountered that doesn't um doesn't wield a lightsaber Mm. and you can already tell that it's going to be a badass and like you know just just the way he's kind of dressed the way he's kind of got the staff the way he's kind of got such a awareness of everything going on around him the um the character of Baze is a fascinating one as well because uh, I think you're right, he often gets overlooked perhaps because because Sharut is so awesome. But the two of them together are the perfect combo of like the, the, the force sensitive and then the other guy who's like, I'm not a believer, but I've got a massive gun, so I'll just go with you. And they, they play off so well to each other. There's some scenes on on Jeddah that are, are really good. The, the showdown with the stormtroopers, of course, being the real highlight. And we see Jin handle herself really well um in terms of taking out a few troopers and cassian's like oh okay you've got this and then of course sharut takes out about 20 before ultimately they are surrounded yeah i I think you're right and i think it's actually quite a hectic situation isn't it because you've kind of got this battle they're trying to keep it a little bit low-key and then you've also got um saw guerrera's um people further sort of stirring up the fray with sort of throwing bombs at tanks and all sorts of stuff and it's it's just getting more and more hectic by the moment yeah 
one of the I guess emotional watches um, I found as I was watching it, if you can really feel it, is when when Jin eventually turns up to to seesaw and mm-hmm. um, you know he's like, oh, are we not friends again? See Rebel Rising, um, but the emotional part is as uh, Galen Erso's message gets played. Um, the music there is fantastic, and the way he sort of speaks, not knowing if Jin will ever see this message. Um, finally breaks down Jin's barriers because the way her life has unfolded, of course, she's very defensive and trusting no one, but she sees her father and um, in this message and it's, it's a wonderful moment. I think, you know, this is, I feel like I'm probably banging on about sort of the wider universe a bit too much and people are probably thinking, shut up about it. I'm just about the core. But I think in some of the books that I've been reading, like they most characters who kind of play any role in um, working for the Rebel Alliance have to be so guarded about everything they do. They they can't really have any close relationships. They can't they can't reveal any details about themselves, and so they kind of become these insular, self protected units. So that if they do get caught or something happens, that it can never be traced back to somebody else. And I think, you know, you can just I think you're right. Like it's a good shout that you can really feel. Jin's emotion and even Saw's emotion and sort of the scene that like we had something and when you think about it like you know these characters are kind of meeting for the first time but you still feel that connection and the backstory between them yeah oh look I'm 100% with you and I'm also with you in terms of the uh going into the into the wider universe because those 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 series those books those comics those games all add to the lore of the experience um there is one more scene on Jeddah that always stands out to me and it's only in sort of digging into it after having watched you sort of find out these little things but the moment when alan tudyk's ktso slaps cassian across the face and he says and there's a fresh one diego luna who played cassian he improvised that slap across the face and then alan tudyk brought in the improvised line afterwards that was not scripted that was something that they decided to do and it, it always works so well and then they had to retro in later the line sorry about the slap it's um uh, that's it's it feels like that's the sort of thing you wouldn't get away with on a, on a multi-million dollar project but they did I think it's another one of those things which really just like, you know, brings a bit of humor and character uh, to the show. And I think it's interesting, right? Because you take a movie like Rogue One and, you know, K2SO is kind of like the, you know, the kind of like this, this, there's always one kind of like quirky side character, right? And I think this is where like K2SO, they just get perfectly balanced because he's kind of a bit dark. He's got this real dry wit, but he's, he's not sort of bringing that Jar Jar Binks type humor to the, yeah. The oh, yeah. It's it's the perfect balance. It's 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 like when we kind of like how we talked about um, Elf Three, um, a similar sort of vibe. Although I do think, if I'm honest, I, I think K Two is probably the the more satisfying option overall because there's just a, a dripping with sarcasm throughout that really works well. And you you couldn't have actually all these joys together. Like imagine like three P O K two L three. Like what a nightmare! It would it would be a funny that would be a funny little sideshow sketch. You know, if you if you got all the actors together, I think I'd, I'd enjoy that. But yeah, in in the universe, it wouldn't work at all. Um, so as that message, that emotional message is playing out, we see in silence, which I quite like the the Death Star um, being fired up. You know, single reactor. Um, and then the destruction of Jeddah again without the the noise of that we just simply see it and then we see the uh, the Imperials all stood there with their chins raised in sort of real admiration of what they've what they've done and then of course we've got this 
awesome destruction scene where you know there's a problem on the horizon there is no horizon that's that's some really good special effects the escape scene is is really really cool and for the first time in star wars history we cut to Tarkin, who says my apologies director because uh, you know clearly this thing's operational um but just like everyone you know he's that classic boss that we all we all know and love he's like i'm taking control of this project this is mine now the outrage pool no no one likes that and and you know everyone wants to work in a safe <laughs> safe employer and you don't you don't want your boss taking credit to the other bosses like that, that's not the way to get promotions we stand here at miss my achievement not yours and it's at that moment that my opinion of krennic also changes and I, and i'll talk about it again when we get to the dark lord later but not many people I don't think many people would stand on Tarkin's ship with all of Tarkin's people around him and just have a go at him as emotionally. I don't think we often see that in, well, maybe not when we get to the sequels perhaps, but up until now, we don't see such a, a on edge, just loose around the edges. Like, I feel like if there was an interview process, there's no way Krennic would have ever got through the door, really. Well, this is the other, I think, fascinating thing about the Empire, right, is because they're always portrayed as like super evil, but and I think you know they do do some really bad stuff. Um, but it's like there's such a weird competitive nature between, particularly between the ranks, right? And it's so like no wonder they're getting people turn and you know go and join something else or sort of counter to their own initiative because they're always such dicks to each other. Like you know there's like you know it, it worked great for the story but was there really any need for Tarkin to be like such like so hard on on Krennic but at the same time it, it makes for a, a great movie it, it, I think you're right was there any need but imagine an alternate script where Tarkin says my apologies director and actually pats him on the back and walks out and says carry on you know I just I, yeah, it almost yeah, feels it, it wouldn't work it's yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's brilliant because ultimately Tarkin's arrogance will will catch up with him and we'll we'll get to that one day Cool. So where are we at now in the story? So, oh, so the, I guess because the other thing is that I I feel a little bit unsure about this ball, and I, I'm sure that you'll be able to correct me on it. So they they basically set the Death Star to destroy the holy city of Jeddah, right? Mm. But they actually don't they end up basically destroying Jeddah? Um, yeah. Well, I think because I I think they were only supposed to destroy the city, but yeah. So it depends if you're thinking you know, if you think about Wellington City and Greater Wellington, how much. What did you want me to destroy here? Because you weren't actually overly specific. But I think, I think they did do more than they intended because, and I don't want to cut to it yet. But when we do get to the conversation with Vader, he actually is like, you know, he's like, its ability to create problems was, you know, it's kind of like you, you did more than we needed. Um, mm. But um, now where we're going to next then is another great scene, mission to Edu. So we're we're off now. We basically and this is where we come back to the cassian dynamic of is he a good guy do we like him do we not this is where he receives instructions from the rebel alliance again dancing that line of take out galen take him out and Andor is not comfortable with that and so he heads off with a sniper rifle and is he going to take him out or not yeah another like the scene here reminded me a lot of the Mandalorian, actually, and just sort of the, you know, when they were breaking into that base, I think it's in season two. And just, you know, 
I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I I really enjoy Cassian Andor's, and I can't help but just sort of think about him as like a James Bond because he's kind of just he's got these like complete black ops missions. It might be counter to the mission he's already on, but he's sort of a he's such a, a loyal soldier that he'll he'll do what's required. Oh, 100%. and it's not it's not until he sees Jin, um, who's you know actually gone looking for her father that he he decides to change tack. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting how much they crammed into that in terms of the different dynamics and ulti- yeah, ultimately because he's seen Jean Jin going for her father, he 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 doesn't pull the trigger. He doesn't follow through on that order. Um but it doesn't really matter of course because we have the X-wings getting sent in to attack and I have to admit because again, we're watching these movies in timeline order. Then this is the first time we've encountered an X-wing, and the X-wings coming in to Edo is exceptional. I love a good X-wing entry scene, and it's like there's a, there's a few different X-wing scenes that just really like like get me like hooping and hollering about how great it is. It's one in the Force Awakens when like Poe and the X-wings are like busting along the water, and it's like all the sprays coming up from the water, and it just looks so cool. But this is just like the X-wing is such a cool ship, and I think you know to think that this spaceship was designed like forty years ago, and it's still just a work of art. Like you've only got to say like X-wings is for your position, and I'm I'm like g'd up. I'm ready to go. Oh, it's a you're absolutely right. It's a combination of that wonderful design, and I don't know the name of the the people that were involved in the design, but also very much important is that sound. The X-Wing sound is unlike any other type of starfighter. Ben Burt, who has done all the way through from 77 right the way through his his uh, you know Skywalker sound now, that sound, mm. there's so many sounds in Star Wars, but the X-Wing sound combined with the look and feel and today's, well, 2016's um, technology to, to bring that scene to life, that was an incredible attack. And I guess... Um, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because we get to see the power of the X-Wings and yet later on in, in subsequent films, we'll see how they're easily matched by other empire ships. But at this moment, the, these guys are really serving it to the empire. And there's something just as well about the, the red sort of hue from the, the jet engine yeah. of these fighters, which is so cool as well, wasn't it? Coming into the planet at night and during a storm, another great planet landscape. This is another thing that this movie does well. Lots of, I don't know, we have another another place <laughs> with sand, but by and large, there's a lot of really good landscapes and planets, and this one's another one. When when Krennic turns up and says to um, Urso, oh, bring out your engineers, I've, I've got an announcement. You know, you're thinking, oh, is this afternoon tea? Are we getting some sort of rise? You know it's trouble, but those engineers, when they come out, I love the way they portrayed them just in terms of look, in terms of the way they were shuffling. They look like battered, broken men, and that is exactly how you would expect scientists and engineers to be treated by the Empire. Look, you've only got to work in any um, organisation that does anything regulatory and you know what's up for. <laughs> I do indeed. I do indeed. I've done my time. I've done my time. And another person who's done his time is is Galen because ironically it is those rebel blasts uh, attacking Edo that ultimately do the damage to, to Galen. And another really emotional moment of, uh, of him, at least he gets, I always think at least he gets to see Jin as she is today and the fact that she came for him and they have that very brief moment at least. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think it's it's great that they at least get to connect, and that the because I think if the only connection that they had made was was through the, um, through the the voice message or that was left for her, it wouldn't have felt so sort of connected and so emotional. Whereas I think having them see each other, have that moment, have them sort of refer to her as Stardust, which is sort of a another key component to the movie, um, means so much more. Yeah, it does indeed. Meantime, we are off to. Mustafa. Now, last time we saw Anakin, um, he was uh, being left to, to barbecue by Obi Wan on Mustafa, and he was, you know, restored to some to some shape as Vader by um, by Palpatine. If you were going to create some sort of castle or house, or and you could basically have it wherever you wanted, wouldn't you want to go back to the scene of a horrific accident where you you know you basically lost all your limbs? Isn't that the perfect place for it? Well, I think the thing that Anakin has learned is that to put your castle on the high ground. <laughs> he has learned that lesson. It is a wonderful setting, and I think it is poignant that the place that he became was 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 uh, in his mind at least where he he finally saw that Obi Wan was a traitor, and he became who he became is is now a poignant place for him to set up shop. I guess the thing is when you think about it, um, you know, Vader, he can't be living on Coruscant. Like, he can't be having people coming up and talking. Like, he needs to be somewhere, like, that no one goes. And it's kind of his fortress of solitude, right? Like, no one's coming and knocking on his door. No one's just sort of making making calls to him. But because, you know, as we kind of see in that scene, there's, and as we know from the Book of Boba Fett, there's a lot of back-to-tank activity required to probably, like, he's still, like, a lot of, like, healing and stuff that needs to be done. And you probably don't want a lot of people knowing about that because, you know, that's sort of a sign of weakness. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And every time I see a back-to-tank these days, I think, I reckon we could all benefit from that. You know, I think there's just, you know, little scars and just aches and bruises. I think it would be just... Everyone a- loves a good, a good deep soak. You know? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Can I make an observation um, about Vader? Um, because when when you think about Vader, typically, I, I don't know, but for me, I typically think of him as his his look and feel, possibly Empire Return of the Jedi. For me, generally, is how I think about him. It's a much shinier uh, suit, helmet, and, and look. But the look of this Rogue One Vader is bang on, absolutely the same as it is in A New Hope. And so... It's a sort of a matte finish to the helmet. We've got the red, the red eye lenses, and it, obviously that's deliberate because this is going to run straight into a new hope. And I just really appreciated that they didn't go with. Um, if you think about the Vader they did at the end of Revenge of the Sith, they went straight straight for the Empire look, and and really they should have gone for what they did here in Rogue One because this is this is that 1977 look. It's interesting too. Like if you were watching these in timeline order for the first time ever. Which is probably why I wouldn't recommend as a first watch timeline order. No. It's it's almost like seeing you, because you get to see a little bit of Vader without his helmet on. Not you know like not crystal clear, but I actually think that moment is better better served in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Whereas like you know for us because we've kind of already experienced that, it's okay that we kind of seen him without his helmet on. Yeah, and we do get, we get that little glimpse in Empire, don't we? With the when he's in the mm, meditation the thing. Of the head. Yeah, but it's um, and of course alongside the look and feel the voice James Earl Jones returning um, at at this point, he would have been age 81 and the voice of Vader is like, I don't know about you, but I, I find myself quite often quoting Vader and I try to do a pretty poor impression of the voice, but there's just even the instant he walks in and says director, 
whenever I meet anyone in, in the business world who has the title director, I immediately say the word director in the voice of James Earl Jones as Vader. It's um, the voice is is still so good. Mm-hmm. Good shout. Um, now I talked earlier about Krennic having a go at Tarkin, you know, in front of all of his mates. He's relatively pushy, even with with Vader. Like he's, you know, he doesn't sort of he's. He, he comes across a bit cowardice sometimes, but he's really sort of, you know, oh, you'll you'll speak to the emperor. You know, he's he's trying to push his agenda onto the Dark Lord, which not many people would do. And I kind of thought, fair play to him. I think it's actually probably, uh, you know, we've grown up to fear Vader. Do you know what I mean? Like that he is a force to be reckoned with. But I wonder in the context of the Empire, whether he's probably just kind of this mysterious figure and obviously you know he's got a real presence about him because of the way he looks and dresses but um i imagine there's lots of rumors about who who's actually behind the suit and you know all the breathing equipment like is he as powerful as, as yeah as everyone kind of proclaims that's a really this is why this podcast is great because i hadn't thought about it from that angle because we know because we've seen the movies that come after this but at this point he's like this guy can hardly breathe why should i be worried about him yeah it's a great it's right. a great yeah, and so I think you're right. Like he does push Vader a little bit too far, obviously, and we get a, a bit of a force choke going on. Never, never as aggressive as the way that he force chokes Padme, but um, <laughs> still a, a force choke. Yeah, and there's something about the noise uh, that the when when Krennic starts reaching for his throat, there is, I would dare say, they've 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 lifted the noise from a new hope. So when uh, they're on the Death Star and they're having that meeting and he's like, I find your lack of faith disturbing. There's something about that noise, which is identical. There's something about a force choke noise. That's, uh, I don't know how to say this other than saying it's very satisfying. Well, I think, you know, cause I think, you know, the force choke in Revenge of the Sith is actually like a closed hand, right? Whereas yes. the, the, the force choke here is like, like pinch, the pinch. The pinch yeah. And, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is we've never seen Vader force choke Tarkin, and I think that kind of speaks to Tarkin's rank that he would never like. I, I get the impression Vader would never mess with Tarkin. Oh, and ever. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're jumping into a new hope, but yeah, the, he Vader release him as you wish. You know that that's that that tells yeah, me that yeah. dynamic as well. It's um no, it's a, it's really interesting, but it's a uh, we all knew from the Rogue One trailer when it came out that we were going to get to see Vader. Um, and we didn't know how much we were going to get and certainly we'll come to the end. But um, at this point, if you'd said to me this, I, I think when this scene closes and Vader walks away, having said, you know, be careful not to choke on your ambitions. I actually thought in my mind, that's, that's, that's our Vader cameo. And I'm happy with that because it, it was just really well done. Um, we do get a little bit more of him, which we'll talk about, of course. Um, should we jump ahead now to the rebel council meeting? Because yeah, I think so. Um, that's a, another great moment because these guys have all got different ambitions and different agendas and different levels of risk and what's acceptable and what's not. But the the bit that always stands out to me is when Jin sort of quotes Andor and says, rebellions are built on hope. And the, the camera, and I, again, I think only this rewatch I noticed, the camera immediately cuts to Bell Organa and he just has a smile across his face. And I, again, just doing this rewatch, it just means so much. I agree. Like it's another just fantastic scene. You've got all of the, you know, fantastic kind of like green screens that are sort of all around sort of the 
the bass and it's just there's just a real vibe about it and I think you know there's certain speeches or statements in movies that again always sort of like send that chill down your spine I think this, this is one of them and I think you know this is uh I think one of the scenes that's used in the in the trailer for Rogue One but it's it's so powerful uh the council say no there's nothing we can do they walk away and we think, okay, well, how's this going to happen? And then all of a sudden... Isn't it just classic steering group? Oh, you know, it like, is. It, like, this is what we kind of wanted, but, uh, like, are we ready? <laughs> like, uh, what? The budget. Uh, can we do some more? Work? The timeline. Uh, the risk. Like it's, it's so annoying because I think... You know, in the, the original trilogy, like we're so used to the the Rebel Alliance actually being like kind of in an active war mode, and a lot of the time those scenes are with pilots and dishing out orders. Whereas this is still very much a a bunch of um, planets and groups of people coming together. But you're right, like they they're not actually connected on what their vision and, and what their end goal is. It's the the machine of government. It's 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 a beautiful analogy you've made there. It, it really is steering committee not being able to make a decision. I've never got a true sense of actually who the sponsor is or who the, who the governance is. Is it is it General Dodano? Is it Mon Mothma? Who has the final say? How many people have to vote? I don't know. Um, I think maybe it speaks to a little bit about the fact that by the time we get to the original trilogy, these guys they know about this stuff. They know okay, we we need to act. There's no more deliberation. Whereas at this point. They, there's still some people who perhaps don't even believe that this thing could have destroyed Jedha City, as it were. So, um, who knows? Um, I watched this this movie the first time it came out in 2016. I watched it with a listener of the podcast, Ash Gardner, and one of the things he said, and it always stuck with me when we came out, was uh, it was kind of like the dirty dozen of Star Wars when when they're all there going, okay, we can't do this, and then all of a sudden Cassian turns up with a bunch of guys behind him and he says, I believe you and we're off to Scarif. So good. So, so good. And I think, you know, this is the, another just like such a, a G up moment. And I think Duty Dozen is a fantastic shout. And I think another one of my, my favorite moments in this movie, and this is a character we haven't really talked about is the, the ex-Imperial pilot Rock, right? Yeah. And so, and we, we've probably glossed over a little bit about how important his role is, but, I love that when they're basically taking off on their ship and they're like, what's your call sign? And he's just like, oh, what's my call sign? And it's like, it's Rogue One. And like, this is, we've never heard before in a Star Wars movie, the title of the movie referenced in the movie. And it, like, it's so, it's so meta. It, it, it is. And I love the way, as you say, it was so, I don't know, I've got to make something up here. So Bodhi Rook has a, an amazing moment there. He gets to, it's kind of like how, in solo when the, the imperial guard is like han solo you know it just sort of like just makes it up on the spot same here with rogue one it is a great moment and Bodhi rook you're right we have overlooked him he is a great character i i always loved his scene with Bor gullet you know because Bor gullet will know the truth um that's a great mantra to live by um he he plays almost the most important role in the entire movie because he's the one who's risking everything comes along brings the message and as we dive into the battle of scarif he plays a, an amazing part down on the on the ground as well indeed indeed so shall we jump into the battle of scarif yeah because bodhi's got the code that's the other thing right we, we're not getting into this nightclub without uh, some sort of entry pass and it, we've got we, you know, we're getting past the bouncers and that's exactly what he does and we get through and 
again, kudos to the, the the producers of this movie because this landscape, this essentially looks like one of the islands off, you know, one of not the main island, but one of the islands of Hawaii or something. This is a beach planet. It looks like a pretty decent place to hang out. If I was to be an Imperial Stormtrooper, this wouldn't be a bad place to to be based compared to some of the locations we've seen. Oh, 100%. It's, it's, and I think this is, I think, another one of those great moments when we often talk about how we're kind of like, so much happens on Tatooine all the time. It's nice to be on planets where there's actually some diverse conditions, like it's a little bit more jungly. The the water's kind of crystal blue. You're right. Like, this is a, a great holiday destination. <laughs> it really is. And I'll make a statement here. From this point on, this, what I call the final third of the movie, I think to this day, this final third of this movie to everything I've seen so far is the most satisfying of any Star Wars final act. I just think everything about this final, I can't fault any of it. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Right, right from the start, even without getting into the big battle, I love the whole infiltration, um, sneaking into the Imperial facility, you know, in the uniform, you know, we sort of, it's sort of memories of Luke and Han on the Death Star, I guess, mm, but there's mm. there's something about, I wish we could have had a bit more within that facility when they're just walking around and sneaking around. I love that too. Oh, it's, it's so good. And I think even just seeing like, you know, Jen in her Imperial costume, it's, it's so, like, it's such a, it's it's so great and it, it's so well played. And there's, there's so many great um, sort of, set pieces in this part of the movie and all of these main characters that we've got to see all kind of get their their moment in the sun uh to have kind of a either a great battle or great lines of dialogue or great progress and you know it's it's so well put together one of the great things dan is the the use of red leader and gold leader the original footage from a new hope the original voices and intermingling it so that we have that gold leader and that red leader and then we sort of hear lines of dialogue from them as they're you know he sort of i think it's gold leader who sort of says watch watch for the towers which of course is a line from a new hope but it works so well here as well and okay so we're going to hear that line in the next movie but to have the original red and gold leaders i just it's just amazing and of course we also see red five meets his peril which of course opens up a spot in the red team which may get taken by the time we get to a new hope of course but um yeah those scenes those those uh those x-wing scenes the battles in the skies is the most intense space battle i think we've seen in a star wars movie we get to see from what appears to be cameras mounted directly onto an x-wing is it's it's great cinema it really is uh, I, I agree. Uh, everything you're saying is is 100 percent true. It's it's so well put together, and just there's so much again emotion just behind those. You know, just hearing gold leader, red leader, like it's it's good. It's it brings it all back, and on the ground is just as impressive. You know, we've got the the rebel troops engaging these awesome. Uh, what are we calling them? Sand shore troopers that's it shore troopers that's the the yellowy is like we've got another one a shore trooper uh, it's got like i don't know there's adrenaline there's sand flying there's explosions it's got a real band of brothers feel almost in some respects well actually i guess the the bit that we're missing is that actually when the the rebel alliance decides to go and help them right like oh yes it's kind of that yeah and that's sort of, of like course. such a key moment of because originally it's just this as you say it's Good this call. dirty dozen but then all of a sudden you've got the rebel alliance being like actually Let's get involved in this. Like this is our, our moment to make a stand. No, you're right. I see I'm getting so excited, I'm just missing out key plot points here. But um it's um 
and and there's also another moment on the other side on the empire side where um so the so yeah you're right we've got the rebels coming in but also it's Tarkin that puts two and two together he's like the original plans of the death star are on scarif aren't they and he's like okay prepare to jump to hyperspace and inform lord vader and when when i hear Tarkin say and inform lord vader i'm like am I getting more Vader in this movie? And I know that we shouldn't be hung up on seeing Vader. And the director, Gareth Edwards, said afterwards they had to use Vader very sparingly. Otherwise, it was just going to all be about Vader. But mm. it's like, oh, Vader's coming to town. That's that's going to be good. Yeah, there's 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 so much coolness to all of this, isn't there? They're like, like uh, I, I, I could talk about the Vader parts for ages. And I think when we come to bits um, a little bit further on, where we might change some things. I've got, I've got some thoughts around that. But where, where do you want to sort of go in, in the Battle of Scarif? Because there's, there's so many different pieces happening here. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we, you're right, we overlooked the rebels making their decisions. So we had that um, the, when the, the rebel fleet leaves, we've got the R2-D2 and C-3PO cameo. Always a nice little touch to have them thrown in there. We've got Chopper going along the ground from rebels. We see the ghosts packed up at the rebel base. We also hear on the radio or the, what do you got, the Tannoy General Sindula uh, please report to command or, or whatever. So there's lots of nice moments there that I just think was great touches. I don't know, Dan, where to go with this battle because it's just, for me, it just all feels like one one huge thing. Well, I, I guess the the core part of our story is, sorry, I'm just going to cough for a moment. The core part being, we've got to get the the trans. We've got to transmit the plans. We've got to get the plans. Yeah, out we've here. got to transmit. And I think just sort of there's there's so many great moments, particularly between uh, Andor and uh, Genuso and K two Esto when when they're trying to get the plans. And oh, yes. I think even the the relationship kind of form that. Well, I guess the level of trust that really sort of grows between uh, Jin and K two Esto. And he finally gets his gun. Yeah, he does. He does finally. It's, it's it's you know I mean obviously these people don't make it out of here, and it's such a shame that by the end, they've all become become really really uh good friends and yeah that sort of that whole cassian gin dynamic the relationship the trust there's something else going on there there's a closeness that's developing as they're sort of working through and as as they're sort of like being helped by k2 to keep the stormtroopers at bay as they as they're climbing up this thing and we see you know cassian fall i actually think at that point the first time i watched i thought oh he's done as well that's it yeah yeah he's done and um and of course you know when we haven't come back that that's that's great but yeah that that whole journey i really really enjoy and you i mean i guess the thing is we always know the plans are getting out of there but even watching it you feel every moment like it's not going to happen and that's that's really something that needs to be um appreciated well i think you know like you know before i sort of jump into like a full ted talk on um (laughs) inspirational leadership i think what's interesting about this whole battle is that every Every character, you know, of our court cast has a role to play in making sure that those those plans are um, able to be sent sent up. And I think that again, like just like I was saying before, like they all kind of get their moment. We're like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do it. But it's like you are critical to the next piece of this landing. And it's like, and I think often when you are here's my TED talk coming when you're in the thick of it, you don't know, you know, how valuable your contribution is. But like with without um, Rook making the call to actually get involved and you know open up the communication channels like this whole plan would have been fraught and it, it would have never happened no you're right and and Rook um, minor criticism that there are moments where he's basically telling the audience the story about what needs to happen in order for things you know he's like I need to get to here so you can do that and you can do this 
but beyond that, he does his job so, so well. Sharut has to do his job because someone's got to flick the master switch, um, mm. which even before we see it, we know it's going to be a good old fashioned push lever that's going to be really satisfying to everyone. Everyone's going to see that button wants to push it. Um, Baze has to do um, his bit. Everyone, as you say, who's part of this core group is having to come together and do exactly. There's another guy, and I don't even know his name, who gets involved um, briefly. Everyone comes to the fore. The the troops that are landing are coming out of the the, the dropships, whatever they are, and shouting for Jeddah. You know, there's there's everyone's in this, and eventually, Bodhi gets a line to Radis. And it's like, yeah, can, can anyone hear me? And Radis is, we hear you, Rogue One. And it's, that's it. It's on. It's, yeah. And I think, you know, that's when we get a, another, you know, great scene of like, you know, where he gets, I'm going to need a Corvette class uh, yeah. shuttle. It's the perfect class of shuttle to, to have. Um, and it's the instant we see that, Tantive 4, it's, um, the, again, the use of the music when we're on the interior of that ship is brought back into the start of A New Hope really effectively as well. Um, there are some things that happen here. I just want to quickly dive into it before I forget, which I was a little disappointed because there are quite a few awesome scenes in the trailer. And I always remember the trailer because, you know, I watched the Star Wars trailer over and over that didn't make it into the final cut. Um, not only do we have Krennic shouting, the power we are dealing with is immeasurable in the trailer, but... or. Um, or I rebel mm. got cut. But the, the scenes on Jeddah, there's a few things that went, one of which was a TIE fighter that appears right in front of Jin on Scarif. And it came at right close. And it was almost, I think like the big, the big reveal end of one of the trailers. And it looked like an awesome one because we've never seen a, a TIE fighter in motion that close before. And I was kind of, I don't know. I seem to recall sitting there sort of wait, Oh, I can't wait for that scene. And that's the danger of watching a trailer then. Mm, it's it's a shame, isn't it? Because you're right. Like I rebel was such a classic moment too, and some of those other things you mentioned were were so important. I wonder whether I I don't know if I've actually watched any of the sort of deleted scenes or anything. I might need to on Rogue One just to sort of yeah appreciate these a little bit more. Um, I'm not sure where we go next then, but um, do we? I, th I think before we go on to the, the Tent of Four, because that's sort of like, we could probably finish on the Tent of Four, but, but obviously we've got the destruction of Jeddah um, and kind of the, you know, this is such the, the big emotional moment in the, in, the, in the movie because it's like you kind of go into this knowing that a lot of these people aren't coming out of it. Yeah. But never have we seen so much uh, loss of life for the you know for the air quotes good guys yeah oh no a hundred percent yeah and the 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 irony of uh, sorry of Krennic looking up at the Death Star seeing his own creation up there staring down at him and have it fired directly on his position and then cause as you say widespread loss of life mainly imperial loss of life of of mm. course but um but um I'm just. I'm always curious, I guess this is a question for you, Dan. When Jin and Cassian, you know, ultimately they, they've transmitted the plans and there's that wonderful moment that you know that the file has been uploaded correctly. You know, It's like watching Windows 95 upload. It was just takes so long and then eventually we've got it and you know the mission is done. They sort of they sort of head to the beach and they can see the, the horizon come towards them. They, they accept their fate. And as you say, we always knew that people weren't getting out of this movie. And I guess that's because... 
you know, we don't see them in episode four onwards. But in the context of the movie, why why don't they maybe try and make a run for a, a TIE fighter or some sort of ship and see if they can maybe get out? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, you know, we don't... It's it's strange because I think, you know, obviously the planet being destroyed, like I don't, like, how did they know the whole planet was going to be destroyed? Like they obviously knew that that, that base was going to be attacked, but I think you're right. Like it kind of seems out of character because when you think about, uh, you know, Andor and, and Janusso, they are kind of warriors at their heart. And I think like there wouldn't be a, a bone in their body that would be like, let's take a moment to to chill. No. They'd be like, let's get amongst the rest of the fight. We've done the, we've done our core mission, yeah. but let's, let's get in the battle because you know, around them, everything's on fire. There's like shore troopers versus the Alliance. Like there's, there's so much going on. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, the only thing I can think of is perhaps, you know, having never been a soldier and gone on a mission, I don't know, but I feel like they'd spent so much energy and so much emotion and so much, they'd given everything to, we have to get these plans to the rebels and we've done that. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like Saw Guerrero, like when he's on Jeddah and he's yeah. like, I, I will run no more. I'm, I've done my bit. This, and it's, I guess is that, um, it's just, it's, it's a heartbreaking end. And again, there's something about the closeness of the two of them compared to how they met at the start. That's just through the course of this movie, we've, we've had such a, such a journey. And I think, you know, Felicity Jones as Jin has done such a good job throughout this movie as an actress. I think I'd only ever seen her uh, in the in the Ricky Gervais um, Cemetery Junction. I think that was the only thing I'd seen her in at that point into that, which was 2010. And obviously, since then, she's gone on and done other things. But uh, I think she's terrific in this movie. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's um, it yeah, it is the more the, it's always kind of felt a little bit um strange, but it is what it is, I guess, in the in the context of our movie. Should we jump forward into I guess what I would almost say is probably the the greatest moment of this entire movie. Yeah, I mean, when Vader says prepare a boarding party, and then we see the the shuttle, the ties, and we see Vader's. Um, tie interceptor with the you know the wings like that going going across we know that vader's coming into the into the party and it is i don't know we've in terms of at least vader in movies possibly one of one of the i don't know top three vader moments of all time easily right oh definitely and i i think for me like i just never expected to see this scene like i i never expected to see like because obviously we we get this scene from a slightly different perspective um, in A New Hope, but to see it from Vader's perspective, so, so good. And so and so dark, because I think often a lot of the darkness in Star Wars is left to your imagination or, or kind of implied, but this is truly a, a brutal scene. Oh, it really is. And just to jump back to Podcast 115 when we did Revenge of the Sith, and I made a comment about how there wasn't enough vader in suit and and you know we, we took too long to get this was this is where rogue one gives me the vader i wanted and kind of expected to see in revenge mm-hmm. of the sith because we know onwards from that there's there's limited opportunities to see it and so it's just an immense moment again shout out music is iconic with this scene now as well it's it's right up there it's it's just exceptional and the sheer brutality of which he goes through those rebels and taking out multiple soldiers in different ways. And if you watch it over and over again, there's, there's moments where 
he he does it in multiple steps like he lifts some people up and then as he's dealing with someone else he then turns back and then finishes finishes them off later it's kind of it's all very it's not random it's it's very well executed and um and just very a quick fun. shout gareth edwards is the rebel who ultimately um pulls down on the lever to release the ship so that they can escape it's actually he's the director so a nice little cameo for him because i have to i have to say he has done a terrific job with this whole movie and this final scene is an incredible way to do it i guess too then the other the other big scene that we get is we get a, a princess leia oh, yeah. cameo and look Paul, i've really been holding my tongue on the the cgi of both tarkin and leia and i'm what i'm really hoping for in the long run is that they actually go back and they kind of fix up those scenes with the work they've now done on the mandalorian i, I made a note myself to say they've got the tech they can do it like like they redid Yoda in episode one, like they redid mm-hmm. Jabba in A New Hope after they did the first Jabba, then the second Jabba, they can come back in because I am a big fan of the CGI tech and I still think to this day, I still think it holds up well and I know there's a lot of controversy around that and I won't dive into it, but I'm with you. When I saw Leia this time around, I feel like that CGI hasn't aged so well, but yeah, maybe one day we can can redo it because it is an, a great moment to finish on. I think they were right to attempt it. I think it's it's powerful to bring Leia in at that point, and for her to use the word hope is um, is really well done. Yeah, I I think again because I'm I, I'm one of those people in the camps of if you're going to do the CGI, you've got to be you've got to do it really well. I actually think they could have done it without us showing without showing Leia's face. They could have just, you know, shown behind with the who sort of hood over her, oh, yeah. her head. And it, it still would have worked just as well for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean I think you're right. We don't you don't always need to to see the face for it to be effective. So I think you could be right. I think um one of the questions I always like to ask then before I forget is if you could change one thing in this movie, what would it be? And I, while you ever think about that, I'll give you my response. And it actually wouldn't be so much change. It would actually be add. And I would say this is an opportunity for us to have had Palpatine in this movie. And a lot of people say, oh, he's always been thrown into movies. But I feel like with the the Empire at its, you know, growing into its peak, I feel like there was some opportunity somewhere uh, and I don't know how, and I don't really mind where they would have done it, but just to have had him, to have showed him pulling the strings, to have been issuing orders to Tarkin, it could have been easily done. And it just, I don't know, maybe I'm just too much of a fanboy, but I just thought it would have been nice. Well, I think this is where my, what I would change kind of fits in quite nicely. So um, I was thinking I would have actually maybe got rid of the scene where Krennic goes to see Vader and rather than Krennic going to see Vader, I would have Krennic going to see the Emperor. Oh, yeah. And what I would have as our first introduction of Vader is Tarkin on the ship being like Informal Lord Vader. Because I would have like lost my shit at yeah, that point. Yeah. Like Informal Lord Vader. I think because, yes, you know, like I love I love the Vader scene, but I feel like the power of that would have been so much more because it's like, you know, we know Vader is sort of kicking around and just sort of inform Lord Vader would just be, would be awesome for me. I love that. I, 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 I'm, I'm playing it out in my mind and I guess we would lose the James Earl Jones element because of course, you know, he, he's not talking when he's on the final scene. There's no need to talk at that point. So we would have lost that. But yeah, I think, I think that would have been great. Or maybe would there have been an opportunity for Palpatine to have been at Mustafa with Vader and have him go to see both. Imagine going to see both the bosses. I mean, that, you talk about steering committee. That's the, yeah, that's the CEO yeah, yeah. and and the sponsor together, right? And it would have been. It would have probably changed the dynamic because I think Krennic. I don't think would have talked back to the Emperor, but it no. would have been a. I think a great 
Um, because I think, you know, people say the Emperor's sort of forced him, but I think he's a core part of the Star Wars storyline, as we know through the, the nine movie, the nine sort of core movies, that he, he's got an important role from start to finish. Exactly right. And on that note, it just reminds me again, Rogue One Catalyst, a novel which is set before Rogue One, which shows how to, how Krennic got to where he was, how the relationship with Tarkin developed, how Galen's journey went. There's a lot of things that come out of there with Palpatine included. So um, that's definitely worth a look as well. Um, Dan, this has just been an amazing rewatch of the movies we've done. And this this whole movie was just extraordinary. Are we Are we ready to rank this one? We have to. I think it's the it's the it's the law of the podcast. So, do you need a reminder of what your previous rankings were, or um, have you got this? No. So my my ranking thus far is Solo, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. Where does where's Rogue One going to sit for you? It's going top of the pile, Dan. It is number one, and I don't want to say by some distance, but this is a movie that's going to be. I feel it's gonna it's going to be in amongst the top for a wee while yeah i look i'm going to join you so my order is slightly different so i'm currently revenge of the sith solo the phantom menace attack of the clones but rogue one is going to go straight to the top for me as well and i i hazard a guess it's it's going to be up there for a while um it's this is such a good movie and i think rogue one is you know if you want to sit down and watch some star wars what a great movie to watch because it's so kind of just like you know, an end-to-end story, and you've still got the other pieces if you want if you want them. So, this is good, Paul. This is this list is uh, it's going to get tough, I think, with some of these future movies, um, particularly as we get into the original trilogy, because uh, well, for me, my love for them is is so deep. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be. We're really getting into the into the interesting times now, and I just I just can't believe what a good, great job they did with this movie john noll tony gilroy chris whites as the writers and uh, i've said him a few times gareth edwards i just think just comes in and directs the hell out of this movie and i would love to see him have another crack at another star wars movie or or or, or maybe some a tv series get him back involved i think he's just done such an amazing job with this movie and you know the cassian andor series is great we're going to be able to see more of him and his character i don't think we're going to ever see felicity jones as Jin again we might see Jin as a kid somewhere else but um we've lost some great characters but what a great opportunity to meet them Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another uh, episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. Um, if you've got any thoughts on this Rogue One deep dive, let us know um, your comments either on our social media or at halfmeasurespodcast.com. And I guess the next time we come into one of our deep dives, then we will be going into episode four, A New Hope. So excited, so excited. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Dinah Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. If you would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.